Okay, well, we are kind of plodding our way through here, the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 this morning, Brother Jim read the end of the chapter for us. And it's been over two years since Paul was brought to Caesarea to determine if he was going to uh, receive the death penalty for what went on up at the temple um, up in Jerusalem. And so at this point where we come into our chapter from, from last week, Felix has rejected the gospel. Agrippa has rejected the gospel. The Jews are not relenting. They want him put to death. And Paul really has no other alternative. He's coming to the place in his life when he said this, I appeal unto Caesar. He is a Roman citizen. Every Roman citizen had the right to bring their case all the way up to the Caesar. And Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. And now as we come into chapter 27, he is headed to Rome. He's headed to Rome. And so his departure date has arrived as we open verse 1 of chapter 27. And Paul is loaded on a ship with a bunch of other prisoners. And he's headed that way. Look at verse 1, would you please? Verse 1 of chapter 27, the Bible says, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And I want you to notice something. There's a little word in there, kind of gives away who all is going on this trip. And it says, And it was determined that we, and you notice that little word there, we, now we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, almost positive. And here we have, it seems to be that Luke is going on this trip with Paul. He said, we should sail into Italy. And I find that kind of interesting. So he's going along to take this voyage with Paul at Paul's advanced age of his life. Maybe he's needing some more attention. Maybe he's needing Luke, who is a physician, to go with him. I don't know all of the ins and outs. But we see that Luke was here. And he's, they have set sail out of Caesarea. And they have first set out, and they're heading north. And in about a day's time, they are going to land there in Sidon. Just about a day's uh, uh, sail north of Caesarea on that uh, coast of Lebanon there on the Mediterranean. And so the next day they dock there and uh, the, the Julius, the centurion, allows Paul to go off the ship. He allows him to uh, be with some of his uh, friends, the Bible says, there in, in, inside. And obviously he trusted him. And I find that pretty neat as well. And then in verses 1 through 3, we have here these little events. But from Sidon, from Sidon, they're going to sail northwest, north-northwest, between on the northern edge between Cyprus and what they call Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. And they're going to dock then at Myra in Lycia. Now, while they're there, interestingly, the centurion finds another ship that has come from Alexandria, Egypt. And the Bible says it is laded down with wheat. And you can look at history and do a little research and you find out that Italy and Egypt had some trades going on. And, and uh, yes, Egypt uh, would send ships of, of wheat and grains like that to Italy. And here's this ship here in Myra and it's headed to Italy and the centurion figures, well, hey, we'll jump on this ship and we'll take this one 
to Italy. And as they set sail to Italy, the winds weren't real good for them. I left uh, North Carolina. I left uh, Charlotte uh, Wednesday, I guess it was Wednesday morning early, and the pilot said on the on the uh, he came over and and I think all pilots have the same voice. I think they go to school to learn how to have that same voice, or else it's in the it's in the uh, you know it's in the the speaker system. And uh, they said uh, we're going to be running into a little headwind on the way home, and it's going to take a little bit longer uh, than we had thought. And sometimes that happens; you run into a little bit of headwind. And this is what they were doing from from uh, from uh, Lycia. They ran into a little bit of a headwind. They weren't favorable, the Bible says. And it took quite a few days for them to finally come to the island of Crete. Now, as they came to the island of Crete, along that southern uh, shore of Crete, about halfway through, they would have come down and they would have came into a harbor known as Calas Limane. Callus Lemaine, fair, fair harbors, fair haven, not fair harbors, fair havens, fair havens. And they found and they docked here and they realized and they knew, I guess most of the people that really sailed in that day knew all of this stuff already, but they knew that it just wasn't a good place to winter. Some say that the winds in the wintertime shift from the west and they will shift around for the east-northeast and those winds would come across that harbor there at Fair, Fair Havens. And uh, it was just too, too rough, too much wind. And it was hard to, to harbor there over the winter. And so what they did instead was they uh, decided, well, we, we will go on. We're just going to go forward and get on to Italy. But the problem was, when they got to Fair Havens, they were past the point of safe sailing in the Mediterranean Sea. History says, and I'm probably, I know we have much different navigation today, and these ships can handle a lot more than they, these wooden vessels used to be able to handle. But records show that sailing after November, or I'm sorry, after September 15th was quite dangerous, and sailing after November the 11th was near impossible. Yeah. So I want you to notice something in our text in verse 9. Would you find your place there in verse 9? Look what it says. Now when much time was spent and, was, and when sailing was now dangerous. Why? Look what Paul says. Because the fast was now already past. What fast? What's Paul talking about there? Well, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 23... We'll come to find out really the only fast that was prescribed by the law was the Day of Atonement. This Day of Atonement, this atonement fast. And Leviticus 23 calls for a fast on the tenth day of the seventh Month. Now, if you go back and you realize the first month after they came out of Egypt was the month of April became their first month, became their January. Our April became their January. If you go from April, seven months in, you'll come to November, the 10th of November. Listen, like Paul said, it was far past being safe to be out into the Mediterranean Ocean, out into the Mediterranean Sea. But look what Paul does here in verse 10. He's going to warn them. And he says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much danger, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. He's saying, guys, listen, this isn't good. This is not a good time 
to be out in the ocean. The ship's going to be, a, there's going to be a problem with the boat. There's going to be a problem with, with the lading that's on the boat, which is what? Wheat from Egypt going up to Italy. With our lives. Paul's a little worried about himself here, right? Yeah. F.B. Meyer said this, The man who knew God was wiser than the men who knew the sea. The man who knew God was wiser than the men who knew the sea. But the centurion decided to believe the owner and the captain of the ship rather than Paul. And so off they go. You know, I've made an observation. Maybe it's a historical observation. It's also an observation of, uh, of what we see in our own day. And uh, it was already has been alluded to already this morning. But the Christian life is full of danger and suffering. It's full of danger and suffering. Listen, I don't believe we ought to go looking for danger. I think a man who seeks martyrdom is no martyr at all. He's crazy. He's a fool, actually. Yeah. But G. Campbell Morgan said this, The man who puts himself into the way of a sufferer knows nothing of suffering. Kind of like the one who wants to thinks he suffered for Christ, and he goes out and he's going out door to door, soul winning. He's knocking on doors, and on his way, he finds a hornet's nest and he pokes it with a stick. And the next Sunday, he comes with swollen face to church and says, "I've really suffered for Jesus." No, you didn't. You're an idiot. Yeah. I'm not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Danger, suffering. It just seems to be a part of the Christian life. And Paul has warned them here. The ship has gone ahead and set sail. It was a pretty nice calm wind, actually, as they began to set out. It was a a calm wind from the south, and they believed, hey, here's our chance, let's get on it. And they got out of that harbor, and they began to get on that uh, way up to Italy. Those southern winds were blowing. It was beautiful. I'm sure it was a little bit warmer that day. Kind of like yesterday. Wasn't that weird? Beautiful springtime day in the winter. I love Missouri winters and spring, whatever, however they go together. And intertwine and weave back and forth in and out. Yeah. And then you have 33 today, right? Well, they set sail that day, and it was beautiful winds, the southern winds that were going along. And then in verses 13 through 15, we come into this word called, uh, called Eurachlodon. I always stumble over that. Eurachlodon. This is what Paul says in verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, <laughs> there arose against it a tempestuous wind, called Eurachlodon. It was a vicious northeast wind that would blow. And this boat couldn't handle it. It was too much. The seas were too wild. And they came by this small island, Clauda. You can look on a map and it hardly even shows up. It's amazing to me that they even got that close to it. I mean, it's just out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. But they came by it. They never could land there at Clauda. But they stayed out at sea trying to ride out the storm. And the, the, the Bible says the next day they begin to throw things overboard and lighten the ship a little bit. Then three days later they begin to throw out all the tacking and things like that to lighten the boat. And then it says that neither sun nor stars were seen in many days, Luke goes on to write. And it, say he went on to say that they'd actually lost hope of being saved. 
Now Paul's going to speak here in verse 21. And it says this, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, I love this, you should have hearkened unto me. Who likes that I told you so? But Paul isn't just an I told you so. He's a man full of the Spirit of God who's trying to help them and warn them. He said, you should have listened to me. You should have hearkened unto me and have not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And there's more loss coming. This isn't it. And now I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Ship's going down, friend. Hope you liked your boat. Hope you have insurance. It's going down. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Isn't it amazing that he said, God hath given thee, Paul, all that sail with thee? He's given them to Paul? Yeah. I love how Paul is always about the ministry. These are souls that need Christ. And he's going to have enough time with them to continue in the gospel with them. But here it is. He told them they shouldn't have gone. But he has good news. The angel stood by me tonight, fellas, and said, I'm going to make it to Rome. And here's the good news. If I'm making it to Rome, you are too. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the best places to be in life, if you're a little nervous, is to be by the believe, the Christian who's in the will of God. Amen. Yep. I remember Lester Roloff saying about talking about flying all the time, and and uh, and uh, he said I, I turn, pull my Bible out, and they just kind of find another seat. They don't want to sit next to me. He said, "Boy, that that clears you out a nice spot. You don't have to worry about neighbors or anything like that." He said, "But I tell you what, if that plane goes down, he goes, they're going to be sitting on my lap. <laughs> they're going to be they're they're going to be wanting to hear what I have to say." And Paul says, "If I'm making it to Rome, you're going to make it to Rome." And I love this. I believe God. I believe God. Do you believe Him? Do you believe God this morning? I think you do. <laughs> so for two weeks, I know we're spending time on this. This is necessary. For two weeks, they're going to flail around in the open ocean until finally they're going to come near a little bit of land. They're going to send out a sound 20 fathoms. They're going to send out another sound a little bit later. Uh, 15 fathoms. A fathom is about six feet they sounded out that, that call and they're 100 feet from shore, 90 feet from shore. And when they're about 90 feet from shore, they began to drop their anchors in verse 29. And look what this says. Two weeks they've been out on the sea just, uh, just beat up. And it says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Wished for the day. It's a pretty bad place where they're at, isn't it? Pretty bad spot. You ever been there in life? You ever been there when you wished for the day? You ever been there when you, through the night, through the night seasons and the waves beat upon your life? Maybe it was health issues. Maybe it was marital issues. Maybe it was wayward children and issues like that. Maybe it was legal issues. And you might stay up through the night and it seemed like it went on and on and on and the darkness never left. And you just wished for the day. You live long enough, you'll be there. Absolutely. 
Well, Paul here in verses 34 through 38, he convinces them to finally eat some food. They haven't eaten for two weeks. Get all the food you can, fellas, because you know what's happening. They're getting ready to throw all that wheat overboard. They've got to lighten the ship some more. And the sun comes up in verses 34 through 38. The sun comes up. They see the land. They don't have any idea where they even are. They have no idea. But they notice a little creek that's coming out onto the, from inland. It's emptying out into this ocean area, this harbor. And they notice that and they figure out if we could just aim that ship this way, if we could take up anchor, we could pull up sail, if we could nose that thing up into the creek and get it to stop, we could maybe get off into land here and get off this ship. Well, the Bible says that they did that. They straight sail. They pulled up the anchors. They headed for that creek. The, 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 the bow of that ship, the, the front of that ship just wedged into that creek. And the back of the ship was just out in the ocean. The Bible says that it was where two seas met together. And the waves were coming from both directions. Both directions, side to side. Just destroyed that ship. Broke it apart. The soldiers, the soldiers advise them, we need to just kill all the prisoners. Yeah. But for some reason, I think we know why. For some reason, the centurion said, nope, 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 we're not going to kill Paul. <laughs> and so they said, whoever can swim, get out of the boat and swim to shore. If you can't swim, start finding something to grab onto. There's pieces of the ship already floating around in the water. It had been broke up. And, and here it says, look at verse 43, but the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. What do you know? God was right again. <laughs> What an ordeal, huh? It's incredible. You know, I wanted to take plenty of time to go through chapter 7, 27 this morning and really get the idea and get be gripped with the gravity of what's going on here on this trip to Rome. This is huge. Obviously, the Holy Spirit of God made sure that we knew about this. You've heard me say it. I say it many times. And you should say it as well as you read your Bible and study. Lord, why did you write this? The infinite God who has infinite words could have said uh, uh, an infinite amount of things. And he chose only, as I love to show, just this right here. That's it. It's what he chose to, re it's what he chose to record. And I say, God, why? Why this? Why this? Pretty bad deal Paul's in, isn't it? Danger. Suffering. This isn't new in Paul's life, is it? I think he's well acquainted with suffering. I think he's well acquainted with danger, right? Danger from the Jews. Danger from these Gentile nations where he went and started churches. His very trip to Rome. 
I'm sorry, to Jerusalem, the trip to Rome here as well, obviously. The trip to Jerusalem, the two years he spent there, for two years they wanted him dead. I mean, Paul knows all about suffering. He knows all about the danger of his life in, in, in this ministry that he's in. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Paul is going to list all of the things that happened in his life. He's speaking to the church at Corinth about trying to help them to watch out for false prophets. And they come around and they say that we do all of these wonderful things that, that are supposed to validate their authenticity. And Paul says, don't, don't believe them. But notice what Paul says about his own ministry. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times, five times, received I forty stripes, save one. Two hundred stripes, right? Minus, what's that? 195 stripes he got. Right? This wasn't with the fly swatter, folks. This wasn't, you know, your mom running you down. <laughs> now some moms, you got to watch out, they're pretty brutal, right? No, this, these, were, these are trained soldiers. Five times he had been beaten. Look at three, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. This, this isn't the only shipwreck he's had, folks. There's been two other times. <laughs> this, this guy just, he goes on and on, doesn't he? A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, and thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness, beside those things that are without... That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I know what it is like to stay up at night and be burdened with one church. I know what it's like to be burdened in prayer with one church. Many in this room have been there as well. The burdens of one. Could you imagine the burdens of the churches that Paul started? How often he wrote in his letters, how much he prayed for them, how he wept over them. Pretty incredible life, isn't it? What was it about Paul that caused him to endure like this? You know, I was thinking about this when I have questioned why this was written, why the Lord saw fit that we had this chapter 27, why we had all of Paul's life. You know, I begin to think this through and begin to look at it and think about it. What was it in Paul's life that caused him to live this way? And a word came to my mind. And it's the word determination. It was determination. Paul, I, I believe, is probably one of the most determined men we know. Turn back to Acts 20. We just preached through here not too long ago. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 22. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And look what Paul says. 
chapter 20 of Acts and verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He knows there's things coming. The Holy Spirit has been warning him. Agabus came along and warned him of what was coming at Jerusalem, that trials and afflictions were coming. <clears throat> and he said, uh, Not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, But none of these things move me. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto, this, unto myself. Paul says, I haven't made my own life an idol to myself. He says, nothing moves me. <laughs> nothing moves me. From the time that Paul went up to Jerusalem... To his departure to Rome, over two years had passed. If he, what, if he had just waited it out, Agrippa would have let him go. Yeah. Maybe he could have set off again. Maybe he could have gone plant a few more churches. Maybe he could have just drifted off in the sunset years of his life, just serving God in a nice, simple capacity and just kind of taking his ease and drifting off into the sunset. Not walking away from God, but just not definitely not getting on a ship, going to Rome and shipwrecked and everything else. Ooh. It's very possible right here, Paul's in his early 60s, late 50s. And it was not an e this was not an this was not a uh, twenty you know twentieth or twenty first century fifties and sixties with American medicine and everything else that we have. This was not easy life. It's amazing he's alive. I think of the determination in his life. For some reason, Paul was determined not only to go what he had already done, Paul was determined to go to Rome. Why? Why determination? I think some in here know that uh, I kind of love cars. I like cars. I don't like dumb cars. And I'm not going to list what the dumb cars are because somebody might have a dumb car and I'm not going to say it. I think, we, I, think I can say Yugo and we'll all be on, in, in agreement here. That is, we could list Yugo on there, okay? <clears throat> They're probably worth a ton of money now, though. Ridiculous. Remember the Lacar? I forgot about the Lacar. Remember that little thing? That, what, the French? Who the French made that one? Lacar? Yeah, it's Legon a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if you could figure out a way to stuff a big block in there and tub it out and all that, that'd be okay. That'd be all right. You know. But I like cars. I especially like fast cars. The faster, the better. Muscle cars, drag cars. I've got so many favorite cars. I'm telling you, I couldn't name them all. If, if listen, if 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 it's if you can smell. Uh, if it's running rich and you can smell the, the 114 octane fuel and you can smell the smell of burnt rubber and, and the noise and the rattling and the moving, it's like, yeah, I want it. I like it. It's okay. Got to North Carolina this week and uh, rented a car and I rented a you know standard car. But for the same price, I could rent a Dodge Challenger Amen. with the scat pack in it. 
I'm like, well, that sounds good to me, Scat Pack. Thank the Lord it was wet and rainy all week. But on the computer, they had this computer. It even, and some of you might know this, it even had line lock. You could lock the front brakes and just roast the tires if you wanted to. It'd sit there. I think it had a, it, it had to have had about a 3,500 stall converter in the transmission because, I mean, it's, it felt like a, a, a manual, uh, like a, you know, a manual transmission when you're taking off, kind of slowly got into gear. And I thought, man, this thing's got a stall converter in it. This thing was insane. It, it was one level under the, the, the Dodge, the, uh, the, the, the Hellcat, which is about 700 and some horsepower. This one was only about 400 horsepower. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah, amen is right. <laughs> I like this. It's a pretty nice car. But uh, my wife knows this. If we ever get into one of those uh, places where you uh, go to like a couple's retreat and they start calling up couples and they ask questions about who knows each other better, you know, like that. And we have this saying that uh, if anybody is asked what my favorite car is, Sherry, what do you say? Oh yeah, she got it. AMX, 68 AMX, 394 speed. Oh, beautiful car. That is, that is one of, that is in my top 100 favorite. I like, I like cars. I like trucks too. Big trucks. Diesel trucks, mid nineties seven three with a turbo. Oh, that uh, got to have about a you know six inch lift on it. Uh, that's that's a that's a real truck. Maybe maybe a mid nineties first gen Cummins. That's a that's a pretty sweet ride too. I'd take one of those as well. My all time favorite, uh, a mid nineties FJ eighty Land Cruiser Toyota Land. One of the most underrated vehicles on the road. I love ah, just a wonderful. Wasn't real fast, a little six-cylinder, inline six-cylinder. Oh, but man, you put that, you lock the differentials on that thing. It can go about anywhere. Now, now listen, I, I, I know I'm spending some time on this, but this is really important. If anybody here has ever wondered, I wonder what I should get my pastor for his birthday. I wonder what I should get preacher for Christmas or Hanukkah. I don't care. You can do Hanukkah. But, if you know, the, the Holy Spirit will tell you, a 95 Land Cruiser with front and rear locking differentials, a 3-inch Old Man EMU lift, ARB front grille with a winch, back bumper, jerry cans. Uh, we need the safari rack and the snorkel. We're good to go. You just... Uh, I'll be there. All right. But can I tell you, well, no matter what vehicle flips your trigger, even if it's a Ford Escort... The greatest automobile on the road will accomplish nothing without an engine. It still might be worth some money. You get a Hemi Cuda without the Hemi, it's still worth a lot of money. The engine in the automobile is the driving force of that automobile. What was the driving force behind Paul's life? What drove Paul to the thousands of miles that he traveled? What drove Paul to have his body broken like it was? What drove Paul to labor day and night like he did? What drove Paul to continue to continue on after he was imprisoned and beaten and rejected over and over again, run out of country of his own people? What was Paul's driving force? I'm telling you this morning, it was a single person in his life. His driving force was Jesus Christ. That's what it was. No, he met him on the road to Damascus. 
<laughs> Remember that day you met Jesus? You don't forget it, do you? Yeah. He was taught of them for three years. In the Arabian desert, he was led by him through his Holy Spirit. Remember, we just read Acts chapter 20. He says, I go bound in the Spirit. Paul says, I know what's coming ahead of me. I know what's being told of me of the Holy Spirit in every city I go. But I'm going up to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. That word bind there means to, to, to bind or bound. means to bind or to put under obligation or under duty. And I know some, some theologians have argued that Paul went up to Israel, up to Jerusalem by mistake. But I'm telling you, he did not go by mistake. He went bound by the Spirit of God because God told him to go. And once Paul got this command, you know what? You weren't stopping him. Don't forget Jesus. Remember, he stood by him in the fortress of Antonia. He said, Paul, you've you've witnessed for me in Jerusalem. Now you're going to witness for me at Rome. Settled. In Paul's mind, settled. I'm going to Rome. I wonder if Paul wrote down, well, this would be wonderful, but I wonder what's going to happen on the trip. I wonder if there's going to be a way out. I mean, if this happens, does that mean I really don't have to go to Rome and I can just stay back here? Even in our text this morning, an angel of of the Lord stood by him at night and encouraged him. Obviously, Paul was afraid. He said, fear not, Paul. Hey, just because you're following God in the Christian life, doesn't mean fear doesn't show up. But I love how God comes along and says, fear not. And he pushed forward anyway. Paul's departure, Paul's danger, Paul's determination, Paul's driving force. It was all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, please, if the reality of your relationship with Jesus, in, the, in that, in your relationship with Christ, the reality of that relationship with Christ will be revealed in the storms of life. You know, because of Paul's driving force, do you think we could say this this morning? Paul was not a quitter. Yeah, pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, there's some things that we might get on shaky ground and in, in our uh, exegesis of Scripture, but I think we can come out here and say Paul was not a quitter. But you know, sadly, I believe we're living in a nation where the population of professed believers have become—this is the word I use—soft quitters, not hard quitters. Some of you just walked away, absolutely. But I'm not talking about the ones who were never saved. Right? 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, uh, if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, right? Remember that? And he says they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There are some that, there are some that go away because they were never in in the first place. They were never born again. I'm not talking about them. I'm speaking about those who believe the gospel. They've been born again of the Spirit of God. They're even led by the Spirit. But it's even possible 
to quit serving God in areas of life and practice. We call it compromise. Compromise. We used to do this. Those of you who have been around the church for a long time, you've been in the ministry for many years, and you'll hear men say this, you'll hear church members say, yeah, we used to do that. Yeah, yeah, we we used to believe that, but, you know, yeah. We used to preach against that. I've heard many say this, and I'm, I'm a young guy and I've listened to the older guys. Thank the Lord it's not all of them. But there's been a few that have said, you know, I think we've harped on this so long. It, just, it was just a hobby horse. All they ever preached about is just hobby horse, hobby horse, hobby horse. It's all they ever preached about. Uh, well, since you got off your hobby horse, how are we doing? I'm not even talking about our nation. Look at, look at the churches alone. How are we doing? Rock music has invaded fundamental Baptist churches, which used to not be in any church. Oh, I know, it's called Christian rock now. Yeah, That's a lie. No such thing. No such thing. Worldliness is the norm in fundamental Baptist churches. I'm just, you know, judgment must begin at the house of God. I'm just dealing with us today. Yeah, I'm just dealing at home right now. Homes in fundamental Baptist churches are completely dysfunctional. Not all of them. But boy, they're out there. Not like they used to be. Dysfunctional. Churches are empty. Some of you remember the days when they were full all over the place. You remember the days when you pulled out of your 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 uh, your house and out of your driveway and and you watched neighbors all the way down the street pulling out of their driveway because everybody was going to the same place. They're going to the house of God somewhere. I've said this so many times. My grandfather would, grandmother would talk about the circuit riding preachers that come there to the little CP Cumberland Presbyterian Church there south of Aurora, and they'd have revival for two and three weeks. And they said we'd go every night, every night till about eleven p.m. We'd get up the next morning, go to work, and we'd go on for two weeks, three weeks. Said it'd be packed, packed. People on the outside would come up and try to listen in. what happened there's a there's a lot of things that we could go through that gets us to where we are but a lot of this has happened because Christians have walked away from the word of God they've walked away from the driving force of their life They've shut the engine off and they've sat there and wondered why they haven't got anywhere. Friend, you know what? I don't care how good of a driver you are. If you sit in your driveway and never turn that thing on, you're not going anywhere. I know you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. You're not going anywhere. You can push it. That's going to wear you out. I've pushed a few cars. <laughs> yeah. It's possible we've walked away from the driving force of our life. It's possible. We've fallen out of love with Jesus and fallen into love with the world. You know, it says in James 4, 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, adulterers and adulteresses. Wow, what a term that God used to describe 
spiritual infidelity. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the love of, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you keep my, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah. You know what our nation needs today? You know what our churches need today? You know what our homes need today? You just need a group of sold out Christians who love the Lord Jesus and just refuse to give up and quit. Regardless of how hard it gets. I'm always reminded of Proverbs 28, verse 1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Yeah. You'll find out those that are filled with the Spirit of God and walking in the Spirit of God, some of the feeblest folk are some of the boldest you'll find on the planet. History says Paul wasn't five feet tall. He said, I don't look real good. I don't talk real good. Boy, was he bold. Look up here, would you please? Some of you have lost the presence of God in your life because you've left the purpose of God in your life. You've turned inward and not outward. You see, Paul's joy and the joy of every child of God is when we are rightly connected to our driving force, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are, we'll never be counted among those who quit. Because God doesn't use quitters. What do you use a quitter for? If you have a job to do. I mean, mean, this is just logical stuff, isn't it? It's like, boy, I I need that... I need that hay put up, those square bells put up. I think I'll get this young guy to help me. He won't do a thing. Come on over here. (laughs) Go out there and get that hay. Yeah. I don't know why he's just sitting there. (laughs) Because he's a quitter. You wouldn't call him in the first place, right? Yeah. I want to encourage you this morning. You say, boy, it doesn't sound very encouraging. Oh, it is. Don't quit. Just don't quit. I'm thankful to the Lord. How many we have in here who are just, they're not that way. They're not quitters. The grit and the determination to serve God. I've said this oftentimes, those senior saints that are up in their years, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know the power of your testimony when you just keep trucking along. Don't quit. Stay connected to the driving force. Stay connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't shut the motor off. There's a lot to get done. Amen?